Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Thank you for joining me. Uh, hope you are, yeah, just hope Hope you're doing something. I mean, I know you're doing something. You're listening to this podcast, so that's cool. So thanks for that. I, re- I really, really appreciate y'all listening and tuning into this podcast. It means the world to me. This is a fun project and to keep working on it. So welcome I hope the day finds you exactly how it needs to in whatever way, shape, or form that is. I am, as you may hear, on the other side of a cycle of grief, and it's nice. I hear my voice. It's nice to hear the fullness of my voice. Uh, It's always so funny, the, the collapsing inward energy of sadness and grief. It just makes it a little bit, you know, I know that my voice kind of, the pressure of the feelings pushes in on my vocal cords and the powerful exertion of air to express myself verbally becomes more and more labored. (laughs) So welcome to this episode, today's episode, this, this Friday fun day for me, for you. I'm so grateful for all of you, my listeners. I just, I can't even express my gratitude. I'm feeling, feeling really good today. Feeling the glory of this, this fall sunshine that we're getting here in Colorado where it's, it's cool hot. Um, it's, it's this really perfect balance of 55 degree weather with the sunshine and the breeze higher altitudes it's makes wearing sweatshirts and beanies and sunglasses it's like i don't know it's just the first time i've ever thought of this it's like the fashion here you know people are cool hot here you know there are a lot of hotties running around denver a lot of a lot of cool cats a lot of cool kids a lot of cool middle-aged folks everybody here is pretty cool it's one of the centers of the universe like New York and Tokyo and Denver has been selling as a brand for about 10 years now and I would say that it's got a brand it's uh super cool and it's super fit and it's super outdoorsy and it's cool hot kind of like the weather cool hot um pardon my little my little adjacent rant there about how how the people and weather in Denver are just the same Just another day in paradise here. The leaves are changing. The wind is ruffling them around. I was helping a friend move and went to take some trash out yesterday. And I discovered the most glorious pile of leaves hiding in the back of this apartment complex where the wind had kind of blown them into a corner between a cement retaining wall and a fence, kind of in between you know, 10 foot section of grass with a little path in between a, a side of the building and then the retaining wall and then a, a fence kind of boxing it in. I tell you what, if you want to have yourself a good time, just go kick like a little kid in a huge pile of leaves. <laughs> it brought me so much joy just to hear the, the crash and the crackle and the whoosh and watch the leaves and the colors fly around to smell that good decomposing leaf smell. I know you know what I'm talking about. 
Uh, it's just a great time of year. We got Halloween coming up. If you haven't listened to it, go back and revisit the Halloween episode. That was a fun one to make. So yeah, it's an exciting week. Got a Halloween party. Don't know what I'm going to dress up as yet, as per usual. I always put off my costume till the end. I don't, I don't know what that is. Just, just my vibe, man. Don't judge my vibe, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so we got that. Going to do a little ritual for Samhain or Samhain. A little honoring of the ancestors. Have a little bonfire with some friends. Share some food. Uh, release some things. Reflect on some things. Invite some new things in. Uh, one thing I'm really excited about. I'm just going to share it because it really made me happy this week. I started figure drawing. And I've taken a couple figure drawing classes at the Art Student League in Denver over the years. And uh, I'm an artist without any training, which I think a lot of people have said that they like about some of the stuff I've made. But I've always wanted to be able to draw a person. And it's really hard. <laughs> so I was kind of, I was blown away at, at how challenging it is. Uh, kind of got that excitement I get when I'm trying something new like oh man I'm gonna be just the whole dance I'm gonna be bad at this oh wait I'm getting it oh wait I'm gonna be bad at this oh shit I messed up that line oh crap this doesn't look anything like the person who's teaching me um, but I'm excited I'll keep reporting back on that throughout the winter I, I just really it changed the way I started seeing people on the street it's like when you learn one of those new things and it's it's a lens that you see the world through. So learning a little bit in my introductory class about figure drawing, learning about proportions and you know some basic anatomy and the, the rough shapes that exist inside of a body um, and then refining those into the detail of the human form. It's just, it's gonna be an exciting experience. It's my dream someday to have just some of my figure drawings on the wall, like cool charcoal ones you see, you know, of like half person gazing over their shoulder, their body kind of descends into the black charcoal abyss of the void. Um, I was just, I, I was always fascinated. I got to go to Europe and went to the Uffizi Gallery in uh, Florence, got to go to the Louvre and I was I, I was so interested in all the artists' sketches that they would have with their like more famous works. Like I really like the paintings, but painting feels really far away for me. Uh, but I always like the sketches, like seeing the figures that they drew, seeing like a couple different stages of their drawings on the same page. It just really blew me away, and I think I grew up with this Picasso print. Uh, might be somewhat famous you've probably seen it somewhere maybe of uh i think it's just a woman sitting in a couple of the stages of that sketch it just always fascinated me so i'm going to do something that has always enthralled me this winter so that's a bit of a bit of a long tangent but it's it's cool when you have those things that it's a new lens, and so you start seeing the world and people differently. You start seeing, I've been seeing how people stand and the postures and the lighting, uh, their anatomy, the shapes inside of the body that kind of help you get the rough proportions down. It's just really been fascinating. So I think that, that actually does tie in to what I'm going to talk about because I'm going to keep talking about this, the lens of vulnerability and kind of build upon and maybe add some some more depth to what I shared about last week. I, I remember, to be honest with you, I don't remember a whole lot of that podcast. And I'm not eager to go back and listen to it. I've gotten some feedback about it. People said they liked it. So that's great. I was a little nervous about releasing it, which I think ties perfectly into today's topic and theme. So we're going to jump right into to vulnerability again vulnerability part two and I think it's cool because this is one of those lenses it's like when you learn something and it's like you you can get a reframing and reframing is kind of 
I think it comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, it's a different way to look at something. So to break the mental patterns of how you've looked at something, you can do something really simple. Like if you're having a bit of a panic attack about going to a party or some social anxiety, you can do a checklist like I am safe, I am not in danger. And so you do those positive reframes to help your emotional body kind of calm down and reassess the situation. And I think we've got the ability to do that with pretty much anything. Um, it's like the Carter family said, try to stay on the sunny side of life always on the sunny side and I don't think that's you know to avoid pain or suffering because you know we'll get into that here too but I think that changing the way we look at vulnerability um, I shared that piece by David White that pointed to vulnerability being yet another undercurrent of our experience and absolutely essential to connection with ourselves and our connection with others and that aging is you have a choice to step into vulnerability or kind of step away from it and I, I love that piece I'll read it again at the end I don't think we need to go I want to go over it now but I just I found it really interesting so this week I was having coffee with well it was a date kind of a date I don't know whatever somebody I met online um, but the second time we'd hung out, we're kind of having this chat over coffee and we're sitting there and, uh, this person had, has told me that they've listened to the podcast quite a bit, which is interesting. You know, there's <laughs> sitting there like, you know, all kinds of things that happen inside of my brain. And yet I have just met you. This is wild, really, really wild. And so this person was telling me that they'd been listening to a lot of the podcasts and I was curious, I, you know, I hadn't heard any feedback about the one on vulnerability. It was probably the one that I've been the most nervous to put out there for a good reason, which will tie into what I'm going to talk about in a bit. Uh, so we're sitting there talking and this is, you know, I'd say average hangout date, maybe friend, maybe date vibes, you know, just nothing. Yeah just kind of feeling it out and uh you know good person nice person lots of shared values interesting artist all kinds of cool stuff uh you know self-aware doing some work on themselves know what they want uh yeah so we're sitting there and i, I asked if they had listened to the episode on vulnerability because honestly I, I wanted to know what somebody had thought about it and this person has given me a lot of positive feedback and I may have been just fishing for a compliment who knows I'll talk about that with my therapist but uh so I asked their opinion on the I said did you listen to the one on vulnerability and they said yes and just so you know I'm referring to people with their pronouns if you need help with pronouns go look it up online why that's important to queer people why that's important in life uh, what gender is not going to talk about it too much here you can go find a podcast you can read an article how to be a good ally why pronouns matter any of those things so moving on um they responded i said what do you think of the what do you think of the vulnerability podcast and they kind of were like oh it was awful in a slightly playful way but i i, I don't know i've always struggled with sarcasm I, I spent quite a bit of time on learning it inside of my own thought process and my own being for lots of reasons that I don't need to go over but they said it was awful and I was like so, so I was like I, I'm not sure are you being sarcastic or is that real feedback you know was it bad and they were like oh yeah yeah and they said it was sarcasm and went on to t they just said that it was good and I was thinking about that and I I think about sarcasm as kind of you know, the meaning of sarcasm is a statement marked or given using irony in order to mock or convey contempt. And I just think that in my experience of sarcasm, it's kind of a defense mechanism. It's a way to keep things away. It's a way to mock or ridicule things. It's a way to judge things. And so I've stepped out of it um, for myself because it doesn't feel good for me. Not No judgment about people who use that. 
Um, but I just thought it was interesting that around a podcast on vulnerability, the initial, the way the compliment was delivered was a little bit of a deflection, you know, that just kind of stood out to me and I was thinking, it just made me think and kind of got my brain going about like how we all struggle with vulnerability until we don't myself included and how we all struggle with grief until we don't, um, you know, by small measure, we get more and more in touch with ourselves, more and more in touch with our healing. And I think that, You know, like, it made me think that, you know, like in that interaction, my first response when I heard the sarcastic thing was like, oh, shit. Oh, it sucked. You know, I was looking for feedback and then I was like, oh, wow, you know, my worst fear came true. I did a podcast on vulnerability and people think it sucks, Um, which, you know, is and isn't the point. You know, I'm doing this for me. My, my value and self-worth comes from inside myself or I'm working towards that. Um, you know, and it kind of like the sarcasm kind of deflected and maybe there was like a missed opportunity for connection there around what I talked about or the topics of, of the, the podcast. And so I think it just got me thinking about like how our culture and I'm not the first one to think this, and I'll reference my sources throughout this, but how our culture sees vulnerability as a weakness, you know, Brene Brown gave that TED talk that there have been like 200 billion views of about vulnerability. And she said, and maybe it was the first place I heard it, that our, we view vulnerability as a weakness. Um, and then I was flipping around doing some research to just kind of bring this thing together. And I, I came across this really great quote by Megan Devine who wrote this really great book about grieving called It's Okay Not to Be Okay and I think it's an important book for anybody to read just to reflect about your relationship with grief and she said All, our culture sees grief as a kind of malady a terrifying messy emotion that needs to be cleaned up and put up behind us as soon as possible as a result we have outdated beliefs about how long grief should last and what it should look like We see it as something to overcome, something to fix, rather than something to tend to and to support. Again, that's a quote from, it's okay that you're not okay. And I think you could really, you could substitute grief with vulnerability. I think our culture sees vulnerability as kind of a a malady. Like, I think there's a lot of shifts happening around this. I know after I did that podcast, last week's podcast, some of my fears were, oh, you know, some of my thinking was like, I should be over this. I should, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should, should be done grieving. Like, why, why am I grieving something that needed to go or, um, and I think because I have that internalized feeling that vulnerability is is weakness and grief is something that I need to overcome or suppress. Um, I think you know this this comes from model modeling. You know, I talked about last week that when we're born, we're extraordinarily vulnerable. We're we need help with everything. We always have the appropriate emotional response to the situation and environment. Yeah, we don't have the self-awareness to mask our emotions, to conceal, to regulate. It's kind of like if we're feeling it as a kid, we're feeling it and it's going to come out. And you can kind of look at babies as this empty canvas of like what human emotionality is like before we become socialized to monitor self-monitor and regulate that you know at some point I know I got the message a lot of us get it I think that it's not okay to cry anymore that it's not either it's from our family 
or it comes from we get it at school we get teased about you know that the little you want to watch ageism look at little kids you know i'm not four i don't cry anymore <laughs> you know go to ask a kid oh no she's eight and she still cries or he's eight and he still cries what a baby you know nobody wants to be a baby once they realize they're alive i don't know it's really it's really fucking strange to me it's hilarious because you know a lot of meditation and ancient philosophies are like the goal is to get back to beginner's mind to return to that innocence um, and unlearn the things that we've been taught but uh it's it's fascinating so we we kind of go through that and then we learn how to manage all of those expressions internally you know which i get it, it helps create a society it helps create you know stable emotional workplaces for people to get things done there, there's a function to that um which i understand but we get this this idea that it's weakness from our environment um you know the silent generation you know people who endured great societal traumas you know my parents i think are a part of this um maybe kind of on the cusp but you know i think definitely influenced by it where it's like you don't talk about your emotions you don't talk about your feelings you don't talk about the awful things that happen to you um i'm 45 and i heard one of my uncles tell me about the ways in which my grandmother disciplined him for the first time ever i mean i'd heard it was bad kind of in these broad strokes but i heard a couple stories like specific ones and i was like damn that is some straight up abuse that's straight up physical abuse that you there's never mentioned and so i think you know there's there's like a a timing thing to this each each generation is raised differently and so i think generation after generation for whatever reason it's like you put that down you put down vulnerability you put down grief you you, you silence um and who knows why Maybe it's because they went through round after round of social and global trauma, World War One, Great Depression, famines, immigration, racial injustice. I mean, who knows? There wasn't the space for emotions. And, kind of, and now there are, you know, we live in a safer world, a healthier world. And so we have space, you know, inside of our lives for getting in touch with ourselves um, and so I think these environmental circumstances that valued dominant strength will self-mastery resolve you know a lot of patriarchal capitalistic capitalistic um, you know stuff we'd call toxic masculinity um, could be like British and European, you know, there's definitely been a British thing there, you know, Brit I've heard this in television, I don't think it's a secret, British people don't talk about how they feel, and I think that exists in my family, ancestrally, and so we're in a time, this is important to note, is that I think we're in a time of reevaluating what's important and what does and doesn't work for us, and I think that this, this silence because everybody's speaking up right now. People are more in touch with their feelings. The silence hasn't worked. Um, pushing things down hasn't worked. And so, I'm in a process like this, with this, like everybody else. Um, and so as I was preparing this, I went back and I read a bunch and watched the Brene Brown things again. And I love that Brene Brown and that TED Talk, and you should go back and watch it. It's worth revisiting and you always get something from it. And I think it's really interesting. I had a dream this week that I worked with Brene Brown, which would be awesome. That would be super cool so Brene if you're ever listening to this I uh, would love to work with you um, 
So yeah, sending that out to the universe. But so I watched this and Brene Brown did tons and tons of research on this. Years and years of study, her own work, and recognized that vulnerability is kind of the underpin or the foundation of some of the most courageous acts, like going on your first date after a divorce, uh, telling your boss that you're gonna quit, uh, breaking up with somebody, uh, taking accountability at work, taking accountability or apologizing, asking for help. Uh, and so things that people would note as courageous usually took some measure of vulnerability to accomplish. and. Brene Brown, and I agree with this definition, define vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So a willingness to show up and be seen even when there are no guarantees. A willingness to do something where there's zero attachment to outcome, um, and a willingness to invest in a relationship whether or not it may work out. And I just love that because every every act it's, it's the reframing it's the new lens if, if instead of so many of us are afraid of being vulnerable but we admire it in other people uh, I think she said something along the lines of like the vulnerable the thing that I admire in you is the thing that I hide and hate in myself and so vulnerability uncertainty so you you're stepping into the unknown the mind hates the unknown. Anxiety, depression, they're all future, future forward-facing things usually, like trying to predict an uncertain future. Um, risk, uh, you're doing something where you don't know the outcome. You're, you're, you might lose something. You know, what does risk mean? You might lose something. And emotional exposure, like you're putting your heart out there and trusting another person with it. Um, you're doing something scary in the face of somebody else. And, you know, for whatever reason, we all have reasons why we might be less vulnerable. You know, there's trauma. Um, but I just, I love that reframing that it's act, actually an act of courage to be vulnerable. And, you know, it's like anything else. We need to have this stuff modeled for us and we need to talk about it with other people and we need to normalize being vulnerable and we need, you know, sometimes we need to be held after we do something vulnerable. When the other, you know, say we quit a job and the boss is like, you suck, you know, you don't run into another ass whipping right after that. You go talk to your friends. They provide you with emotional support. I just think it's it's really important because, you know, I, I keep coming back to this and I think this is a big theme of the podcast that we all want connection. We all want love. You know, there are these things that we share that, you know, fear. I started the podcast a reflection about fear and how we have these these kind of common thread shared fears and <clears throat> I think the thing with vulnerability is if we think if we show people our shit which we all have right we have those shared fears we have these insecurities if we show people you know we've made mistakes we have behaved poorly and if we show people that that we won't be loved, you know? And I think the exact opposite is true. I think that for me, right? Like I know my biggest, deepest fear is if I show people how sensitive I am, you know, I, since I've been little, I have the memory of feeling a lot and I learned how to control that so I could be in school or how I could be around my family or express myself and my gender or my sexuality or 
just my emotions, you know, I think, you know, we all get this in different versions and because kids feel, they feel the world fully. It's coming at you pretty hard when you're a little kid. And I was, you know, I felt a lot of fear of being judged about the last episode, you know, like this voice inside, this little, you know, why would you share that, Colby? You'll never be loved, you know. People are going to judge you or have opinions about how you feel, which, you know, honestly, you can have them, but, like, I don't need to hear them. And anyhow, um, what if I make somebody else uncomfortable? Or, you know, what if I have to justify my feelings? What if I have to fucking explain myself? Um, you know, why can't I, I, I feel differently? Why can't, why can't you be over this heartbreak and your ex? And, ma -ha 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 -ha. and you know, there's this little insidious voice that we all have a different version of. I don't know if that's how mine sounds, but it does right now. It sounded really, really evil. Um, and I think it is because, like, that voice keeps me from sharing vulnerably which, you know, in Brene Brown's talk is like the root of connection. We want to be seen and accepted fully. <laughs> you know, it's this, it's the paradox, it's the irony of being a human. You know, she said, when you ask people about love, they tell you about heartbreak. When you ask people about connection, they tell you about separation. Um, that shame is the fear of disconnection. Like shame is at the root of most of our, our disconnection and it keeps us isolated in our tower and you know these parts of our ego that like hold on to and really want to like manage all the messy shit inside of us instead of admitting like you know we're all fucking nuts you know we're we're trying our hardest so we can live in a society and not scare other people and have social interactions and do business and have transactions we have all these rituals and agreements to keep us functioning in a society full of strangers but i'm talking about your inner circle you know i want the people close to me my friends and family to see me fully and to you know accept those pieces of me and you know i don't expect that unilaterally we're all in our own process but i think that's kind of you know, we want love. We want connection. We're, we're hardwired to connect with other people. You know, we spend so many years dependent upon other people for our survival that we're hardwired to connect. We have made these complex networks of societies and smaller social groups inside of societies and countries and nations and sports teams and activities. And you could be a skateboarder. You could be an artist. You could be a jock you you know all of these subcultures to continue to like be able to share what you're passionate about and that's awesome like we have so many options for that and i think the key to really being connected is is vulnerability it's and i think it's also you know the the stronger i get inside of myself i i can tell who i do and don't want to be around about how they respond to vulnerability which is really interesting you know if someone responds sarcastically to something vulnerable i mean i'm like yeah great that's where you're at but i don't want you near me you know um if if I'm vulnerable and it makes somebody uncomfortable, like I can see their pain and maybe, you know, someone who's not in touch with their vulnerability, I don't want to be that open with because I, it'll be a one-sided thing. It, it won't be two of us sharing equitably. I want people, you know, I think we surround ourselves with people who meet us in our vulnerability. You know, I think if you think about, you know, masculine bro culture, you know, like the bro hug, you know, 20 years ago, nobody bro hugged this like little hand clasp, other arm around itself. Like that's a huge step in intimacy for a lot of men. Uh, and that feels safe. That's like a safe level of intimacy. Uh, there's a good movement like around like telling your male friends that you love them if you identify as male. And you kind of like find your pocket of, of, of people with like a shared vulnerability value system. And I think that's great. And that allows us to feel connected. Um, and I think, you know, 
the more you can the more I've been able to be vulnerable the more I can kind of choose who I do and don't want to meet me in that vulnerability you know the ways we learn to self-police in society and in our families really limits our vulnerability and increases our shame and shame is different than guilt shame is I am wrong or what I'm feeling is wrong uh, guilt is I did something wrong so there's a big difference there so make sure we keep those two separate um, and you know I talked I think it, it'd be impossible to build off of last week's episode without also talking about grief and I think we push away vulnerability the way we push away grief and I think both of them are they're just absolutes you know you're gonna experience grief and you're gonna be vulnerable in this lifetime and getting in relationship with those two things will I think put you at peace with reality and the scope of a human life and I really having gone through several intense rounds of grief following this breakup grief is fucking wild I mean, it is absolutely wild. And I, I want to just share that with you as someone who has eaten the strongest acid at Burning Man, as someone who has sought out intense experiences, jumping out of airplanes, uh, you know, performing live, going to art, like experimenting with drugs and alcohol like I have had some fucking out there wild experiences and I'll tell you what I think grief is the wildest ride you can possibly ever go on in this body it's it's all-consuming it's uncontrollable it's confusing it's unpredictable it's raw and it's uncertain you know it's like you'll wake up and think <laughs> I'm going to get this work done. And then 30 minutes later, while you're brushing your teeth, you're on the floor crying in the bathroom. Just uncontrollable. Like, I thought I, thought I was going to go to work. Um, it kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, you'll see, you know, when you've lost somebody or you're grieving, you'll see the most innocuous things will remind you of them. And your brain is literally going through a rewiring and un untethering you know how you're attached to people and how your brain kind of invites them into its its space and like they kind of occupy a place of your identity you know the whole world's different and uncertain you know you had the predictability of talking to this person or seeing them or thinking about them and all of that's gone and you're just left you know and it could be grief breakup death loss I mean any of those things and and psychologists or people talk about grief as like one thing I think it's really important to acknowledge that like vulnerability like there's so much depth and fullness to grief you know there is so much like the stages of grief right they're not linear they don't happen one after another and some people say they're five and I know this could be an outdated model but you know denial so you're just like kind of everything's okay and you're kind of disassociated and like in this weird isolated bliss nothing really happened and then all of a sudden anger can come on and you're just pissed and then all of a sudden sadness and then all of a sudden you're like negotiating in your head with the universe or the other person to come back or you know there's anxiety and these things happen on kind of like a just a random wheel until they don't anymore and so you know to go back like we to the quote by Megan Devine it's like we look at grief as like it's a sickness because it's the most intense version of suffering and it, it, it doesn't you know it doesn't have a pattern it doesn't have we try to solve it but it's not it's not a puzzle it's a puzzle with a million moving pieces that change color all the time um, and I would say that vulnerability is unpredictable, you know, like Brene Brown said, it's unpredictable, uncertain emotional exposure. And grief is pretty much the same thing um, in a lot of ways.
I think the things that we resist about vulnerability are the things that we resist about grief. That the things we're afraid of in grief are the things that we're afraid of in vulnerability. The unpredictability, the lack of control, the emotional exposure, the rawness of it. And I, you know, I, I, I want to be a part of this conversation in this podcast and change the way we view these things. You can't shove these things down forever or they just keep getting kind of handed off to the next generation. Hey, you know, you accidentally hit your partner in the face with them emotionally or verbally. Um, and I, I, I love that, like to grieve fully is courageous and I love all stories of courage are underpinned by vulnerability you know Odysseus in the Odyssey leaving his family uh, going being tempted going through these heartbreaking moments um, temptation, fear, panic, you know, those are vulnerable moments. And that, you know, the Odyssey was just like kind of a template for how to be a leader. And there are lots of problems with it, right? It was a very patriarchal culture. But like any any great, you know, social activism, Rosa Parks, that's incredibly vulnerable to risk, to risk what she risked, to to risk speaking up in your family if you disagree with a pattern of behavior, to risk uh, telling someone how you really feel, to be the first person to say you love somebody, to ask somebody on a date. You know, these are these vulnerable moments. You know, if you think about a love story, you know, just let's take just rom-com, you know, you love the moment at the end where they live happily ever after and but you know you forget that the whole story started with an act of vulnerability you know somebody showing themselves to another person and yeah I think it's about connection and that's how we connect you know, you can connect in lots of ways. You keep people at an arm length for your whole life. I'm not judging anybody here. I'm talking about the path I'm on. You know, I think this is the path we're all on, but, you know, we're all at different stages of this. You know, people have experienced different versions of trauma. This isn't a should, like you should be vulnerable. You know, we're all where we are with this day in and day out, you know. I had somebody tell me recently that I did something courageous and I couldn't believe it. I, I went on a date after I had breakfast with my ex and it was my ex who was like, oh, that, that's really brave. And all I could think was it was stupid. Like, why would I have done that? And it's taken weeks and weeks to see like, oh no, I, what I did was brave. I was putting myself out there I was stepping into something that was uncertain um, with emotional exposure and when it didn't go well it was painful and I moved on but you know I'm I'm in a relationship with this as well that and I probably will be forever you know it's like David White said um And I, I, I want to touch on one more thing before I wrap this up. That we, we get taught how to numb vulnerability and to numb grief, especially in this country. And when we numb grief and vulnerability, we also numb joy. We numb connection and we numb happiness. And, you know, we, we can numb these grief and vulnerability in lots of ways by like, you know, it's not just addiction. It can be addiction. It can be drug use, alcohol use. Um, it could be spending. It could be eating. It could be, you know, we're, we're 
super medicated here in America. The pharmaceutical industries are huge. And if you selectively numb the bad stuff, you also selectively numb the good stuff without knowing it. And I don't know, I think that's worth noting. You know, I know for me, it's like I, kind of doing a constant inventory about how much I'm numbing. Like yesterday, I was a bit sad in the evening. And so I, I was like, okay, I'm going to really feel this for like two hours and then I'm going to take a break. <laughs> so I did some art, I did some journaling, took a bath, I listened to some meditation music and I just kind of felt my way through through the emotions that were coming up about the changes in my life and about you know losing a partnership that I thought might be a lifelong partnership and at the end I was like okay that's about enough I'm gonna numb for one hour I'm gonna eat some popcorn I'm gonna watch a couple cartoons and I did and that was plenty so I'm not saying numbing is bad, like we need to take breaks, you can't just be in this shit all the time, but just, I think it's really important, because I agree, you know, our culture sees grief and vulnerability as some kind of malady, a terrifying, messy emotion that needs to be cleaned up and put behind us as soon as possible. Uh, as a result, we have outdated beliefs around how long grief should last, what it should look like. We see it as something to overcome, something to fix, rather than something to tend to and support. You know, it's it's hard. You know, it can be hard. It's not always hard, but being a human's complex, and the validation is one way that you can meet a friend in vulnerability active listening I've talked about that in the podcast reflecting back what you hear the person saying oh that sounds really scary oh that sounds really sad you know it sounds really intense um and not offering you know these trite kind of like oh time heals all wounds it's kind of like I, I don't want to deal with that is what that says or you'll get through it um uh I don't want to deal with that. It's like, it's not, it doesn't bring in connections. Like we want to connect around these things. We don't want them to be the only things we connect about, but if we shut out connecting around vulnerability, we shut out connecting around joy. Um, and just, you know, make peace with this truth that in one way or another, loving one another means losing one another. It's one of those absolute truths. Like every relationship ends. Just remembering when people do things that are vulnerable, they're trying to connect, they're they're doing something scary. They we deserve to be met with softness and support continually, you know. Because as we look old, most adults are children internally, so you know, we we have so many things that we put in place to kind of keep us from these things, whether it's religion or belief in a faith and mystery that turns to dogma, you know, perfection, control. We pretend that what we do doesn't have an effect on people. We deny accountability. We ghost people. We run away from problems. Um, and we try to make uncertain things certain. So we can let ourselves be seen, be grateful, to feel as vulnerable means we're still alive. Uh, to be alive is pretty vulnerable. And you're enough. We're all enough. We're all enough in our vulnerability and our tender little underbellies. It's like you always know when a dog trusts you because they lay on their back and just want you to pet their belly. I think that's what being vulnerable is like. It's like, I just told you something scary or I did something scary. Now please hold me and rub my belly. <laughs> Lessons from Lily. I'm going to close this out. I'm going to read the David White passage again about vulnerability. Thank you so much for joining. Remember, this is a listener-supported podcast, so I get my money from y'all. So thank you. If you don't have money to support, you don't have to. But if you do, it helps other people who are listening. It helps me as a creator, a small, small artist and content creator. Uh, keep going. Keep 
keep putting out these podcasts, keep doing this research, keep doing this work, sharing these stories so we can connect. So if you have some money to give, patreon.com, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. Go to my website, www.turningofthebones.com. There's a link there to the Patreon page. Or you can direct message me on Instagram, Turning of the Bones. Uh, emails on the website, and you could ask for my PayPal or Venmo, and we can keep this thing going. So thank you all for your support. Like, share, share it on social media. Leave me a, a review on iTunes. Like these things help more than you'll know. The algorithm gods must be appeased. They must be appeased. So thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate y'all being here. Here we go, David White. Vulnerability is not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present, and abiding, abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to be something we are not. And most especially, to close ourselves off to the understanding of the grief of others. More seriously, in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse to ask for the help needed at every turn of our existence and immobilize the essential tidal conversational foundations of our identity. To have a temporary, isolated sense of power over all events and circumstances is a lovely illusory privilege and perhaps the prime beautifully constructed conceit of being human and most especially of being a youthful human. But it is a privilege that must be surrendered with that same youth, with ill health, with accidents, with the loss of loved ones who do not share our untouchable powers, powers eventually and most emphatically given up as we approach our last breath. The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. Thank you all so much for being here. You're doing amazing. Maybe try and do something vulnerable this week and then give yourself a pat on the back for doing it. Uh, thank you all, you brave, beautiful buttes. Have a lovely week, weekend. Take care. Turning of the bones. Bye now. <laughs>